This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about challenges over COVID-19 vaccine mandates, state legislative and congressional maps, and the state's finances. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square executive editor Dan McCaleb and Illinois editor Brett Rowland about the state's taxpayer burden, concerns over vaccine mandates, the bears, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. An Adams County judge says a health care employer cannot terminate employees who aren't complying with Governor J.B. Pritzker's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. The mandate has health care workers having to prove they're vaccinated or submit to weekly tests. If not, they aren't allowed to work. Attorney Thomas DeVore brought a lawsuit on behalf of several medical workers against the Quincy Medical Group. Under the Illinois Department of Public Health Act and under the Health Care Right of Conscience Act, that these people's jobs couldn't be impaired, discriminated against uh, for refusing the vaccinator test. He said while state law allows some workers to be required to get a shot for influenza, COVID-19 is not the flu. To the extent the legislature believes that uh, healthcare workers should be compelled to vaccinate for coronavirus or testing for coronavirus. They would create a similar type of law to the influenza law. And since they didn't, the Healthcare Right of Conscious Act you would, would be suggested to cover their ability to still choose as it relates to that vaccine test. Quincy Medical Group didn't immediately return a message seeking comment. The temporary restraining orders in effect, keeping their jobs in place until the case is determined. A preliminary injunction hearing is set for October 6th. School districts have different interpretations on how the governor's COVID-19 vaccine mandate may conflict with the state's Health Care Right of Conscience Act. Jacksonville Public School Superintendent Steve Potasik said that he's been advised by legal counsel that the governor's vaccine mandate may be challenged because of the state's Health Care Right of Conscience Act, which was enacted in 1998. A claim under HCRCA uh, could result in, in, in each individual claim being up to a half a million dollars in, in penalties and definitely a couple hundred thousand dollars in, in, uh, in attorney's fees, uh, even if you win. He said he can't risk taxpayer resources like that, and at this time, the district is not excluding any staff for not complying. He wrote the governor and the Illinois State Board of Education with suggestions on how to clear up the gray area. Just down the road, a spokesperson for Springfield District 186 said the district does not believe it has the legal authority to violate any directive from the governor, and it is excluding staff for noncompliance. Cadence Cohen says that she was put on unpaid leave for not submitting to weekly tests. She claims the 1998 state 
state law, the Healthcare Right of Conscience Act, gives her protection from submitting to those things that she objects to. The benefits of this great country is our forefathers have, have set up a system to handle situations like this. And within the confines of the law, I will be pursuing that. A statewide police union says they're not anti-vax, they're anti-force. And they're sounding the alarm over a possible move to take rights away from workers who have conscientious objections to mandated COVID-19 vaccines or weekly testing. At issue is the Healthcare Right of Conscience Act. Some say state law enacted in 1998 gives individuals the right to not be discriminated against in their public or private sector job for refusing a medical procedure for which they have a conscientious objection. Illinois Fraternal Order of Police President Chris Southwood worries state lawmakers could come back in October to reduce individuals' rights under the law. Uh, if they're going to change, the, make these changes, they would be taking away the rights uh, of, of our membership to refuse the mandates or the, uh, uh, the additional testing which is discriminatory in nature. For law enforcement, he said there could be resignations over the mandate and no one benefits from fewer police on the streets. Hopefully it won't happen. Hopefully this law will, will stand up and uh, it'll prevent our members from being forced to the vaccine or the, uh, the testing. Southwood said the FOP will actively oppose changes to what he said is the strongest protections for people's rights. Republican State Senator Chapin Rose said such a move would be the first major action Democrats in control of the state legislature have taken on COVID-19 policies. I don't think they want to be put in that vice-like position, but the governor's pushing it. We'll see. But I would just simply submit to you, no matter what the outcome, at least it's a Democratic outcome, unlike what we have now, which is a dictator. For nearly 20 months, Rose said, the Democrats in control of the legislature have sat by while the governor manages the pandemic. The Democrats aren't standing up for anything. We'll see what happens. The governor is demanding they have a vote on the self-care right of consciousness act because I think the governor finally realizes even he doesn't have the authority to overturn that statute. The governor's office hasn't responded to requests for comment. Illinois Senate President Don Harmon's office said it's a situation they're learning more about. Lawmakers return October 19th. Illinois continues to outpace the rest of the country for murders and violent crime. Kevin Bessler has those statistics. According to the FBI's 2020 Uniform Crime Report, there were nine homicides per 100,000 people, the highest total in a decade. Violent crimes increased as well. Chicago's issues with violent crime are well known, but Mayor Lori Lightfoot said things are trending in the right direction. Crime is not out of control in our city. In fact, crime is on the decline. All of our major indices showed a decline in, in um, crime and our homicides and our shootings year over year are down. Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown points to the justice system as a reason for all the shootings. I would say the reason why we're seeing so many uh, mass shootings, we have strong, strong advocacy in the courts for offenders and very little for victims. The report shows violent crime increased in Illinois from 2019 to 2020 by 2.6% while property crime decreased during the same time by 8.1%. I'm Kevin Bessler. An Auditor General review of the Illinois State Police's handling of firearm owner's identification card and concealed carry license applications shows ISP is not following the law. 
The audit was for 2018 and 2019. Even before the pandemic, there were delays in applications being processed and the time frame allowed by law. Delays affected about one in four cards in 2019. In 2020, a year not part of the audit, ISP said delays averaged 205 days, well beyond the 30 days allowed by law. Before the audit was released, ISP said it's decreased the backlog, but not entirely. State Representative Tim Butler said the problem with the persistent delays is new applicants' rights are being denied. If you're applying for you know, your renewal of your card, at least the, we have it in place where that card gets extended, you know, even though you don't get the new card in the mail. Um, but for new applicants, we're, we're literally violating their constitutional rights. I mean, I think we, I mean, you need to have like immediate you know, uh, approval of those cards. We need to make it better. ISP responded to some of the audit's recommendations that a newly recently enacted law will help modernize the process. Butler has his own recommendation. I think we just need to get rid of the FOID card. I think I think in today's environment where we have instant background checks and, you know, I, I bought a handgun last year, um, it, you know, went through the process, got the background check, waited the 72 hours. You know, there's I, you didn't need a FOID card to make that purchase with, with that kind of stuff in place. The FOID and CCL process faces about a dozen lawsuits in state and federal courts. Meanwhile, the governor signed revised legislative maps last week. He said they comply with the Voting Rights Act. Minority groups dispute that. Illinois African Americans for Equitable Redistricting's Valerie Leonard said Pritzker's signature of the Democrats' map makes a mockery of the Voting Rights Act. People did not have enough time to prepare. There was not sufficient engagement in the African American community. We had to write letters to ask them to hold hearings at times and places that were accessible. She said Democrats at the State House ignored the groups urging against rushing the maps. I think at this point it's just greed. You know, they they really could allow for more representation of minority groups and still have a veto-proof majority. Leonard said they're reviewing their legal options. The Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund is suing in federal court, saying the maps diminish Latino representation for state house districts, despite having a growing population. A hearing in that case is October 7th. Illinois State House Democrats ready to take public input on redrawing the state's congressional districts. Republicans don't expect such input to be considered. Lawmakers could take up congressional maps when they return in a few weeks. In a news release, Democrats say they'll soon announce public hearing dates for October. They're taking public input at their websites. Democratic State Senator Omar Aquino encouraged residents to participate directly. Republican State Senator Jason Barrickman said Democrats may say they want input, but he said they've already shown their cards with how they handled public input during the legislative redistricting. I think the playbook's already there. The Democrats plan to wash it off and use it again. Uh, the public ought to hold on for you know another kind of a kangaroo-style court of public transparency that is designed to check a box of saying we want your input when in fact everyone knows uh, that they just don't. Illinois is set to lose a congressional district because of continued population loss. Berkman fully expects Democrats to reduce Republican representation. When you politicize the map-making process in the way the Democrats have, ultimately what you're doing is you're removing the choices that voters have. And as a result, you're having less accountable representation in a government uh, that, is, that is supposed to hold people accountable. 
Illinois taxpayers are on the hook for nearly double the debt burden of just 12 years ago, according to a new report on the fiscal state of the state. Truth and Accounting has been evaluating state governments for how much debt the state has versus how much revenue they bring in. TIA Research Director Bill Bergman said the amount owed per taxpayer in Illinois went from about 30000 in 2019 to 57000 in the most recent report. In other words, it's almost doubled since 2009. That's significant for a few reasons, including the beginning of that period was in the middle of the worst economic and financial crisis since the Great Depression. And Illinois has only deteriorated since then, despite the massive recovery in financial markets since 2009. That's scary. Illinois isn't just one of five so-called sinkhole states. It's also consistently among the slowest states to report its audited financials. Bergman said of all but two states that published their audited reports, Illinois went the longest at 408 days since the end of the previous fiscal year. What does that mean? That means our, our government officials are planning for the future on the basis of audited results that are more than a year old. And that's hopefully government accounting is going to improve in its timeliness in the, in the years ahead. Bergman also said TIA doesn't give ratings out like credit rating agencies do, but they do hand out grades and Illinois gets an F. A major driver for Illinois' financial problems is the unfunded pension liability that Truth in Accounting says equates to only 37 cents for every dollar of promised pension benefits set aside. And those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square Executive Editor Dan McCaleb and Illinois Editor Brett Rowland. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Welcome back. I'm Dan McCaleb, Executive Editor of the Center Square. This is the Crosstalk section of the Illinois in Focus podcast. Chris Krug has the day off, so joining me today is the Center Square Illinois News Editor, Brett Rowland. Brett, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. A few things to talk about this week, as usual, another uh, uh, busy week uh, here in Illinois. Why don't we start with a new um, report uh, from uh, Truth in Accounting, a Chicago-based organization that takes a look at the financials of state governments across the country. Uh, This week, they came out with their annual Financial State of the States 2021 report. Brett, how did Illinois fare? Uh, Illinois did not fare well. As uh, anybody who's been following the state's finances could have probably predicted, um, Illinois is among the, the worst states here with the highest burden for taxpayers. I think second only to New Jersey and Connecticut. Um, and uh, really, taxpayers are on the hook for a lot of money, uh, given the state's spending policies. And this well, let's organization, talk, let's, oh, let's talk about that tax, taxpayer burden. What, how, does, how does Truth in Accounting, which, which uh, uh, analyzed every single U.S. state's um, financial outlook, how do they come up with what they call, quote unquote, a taxpayer burden? So they take what this essentially the amount of state government debt that the state's on the hook for, and then they divide it by the number of taxpayers. And the debt can include what the debt includes everything, not just yes. so, not just operational expenses, not just like 
bills that they haven't paid by the end of the year because they didn't have revenue in it. It also includes legacy debt, which which is what? Which is pensions and then uh, promised benefits. So uh, in addition to, to paying pensions for former government workers, the state promise that, promises them benefits, including health insurance uh, and some other things, which the, the, the total of which really uh, can drive up the cost of Illinois' total total debt and also what taxpayers pay each year. If you if you add up the pension debt, um, the health care debt, um, you know the other debt in the states, and you, you divide it by the number of taxpayers, that's what the tax what each individual in the state of Illinois taxpayer were were to owe if they were to pay off all that debt at once. And what was the figure for for each Illinois taxpayer? So for each Illinoisan, it'd be fifty-seven thousand dollars. That's up from thirty thousand dollars in two thousand nine. So nearly doubled in that amount of time. Um, and well, really, and the, the, there's no. It doesn't look like things are going to get better. And, and that's during you know uh, two thousand nine was we were coming out of the uh, the Great Recession. Um, the two thousand tens were pretty strong economically across the country, but. Illinois' taxpayer debt almost doubled um, while the stock market was booming and the economy was growing jobs. Um, uh, that's that's pretty remarkable. Pretty sad, but pretty remarkable. In large part, this is uh, you know a direct result of the the spending policies that are set in Springfield by lawmakers. So um, you know people who are surprised by this are people who are not paying attention right and the lack of doing anything about we've known about this let's call it a crisis because that's what it is the pension crisis uh, pensions are underfunded and when I'm talking about pensions I'm talking about state employee uh, government worker pensions and you know including including teachers teachers are considered state employees but there's five public pension systems and they're underfunded by well over 140 billion dollars and that's where a lot of this, this debt um, um, comes from. Looking at other states, uh, Brett, I, I noticed in our reporting this week that the only only 11 states had actual taxpayer surpluses as opposed to a taxpayer burden. A taxpayer surplus is when the state has more money on hand uh, than, than to uh, uh, pay down its debt. So Illinois is not alone in having this taxpayer burden. But as you mentioned, it's the third worst um, state in the country. What were the two states that were worse than Illinois again? And New Jersey's taxpayer burden was at fifty eight thousand three hundred, and Connecticut's was at sixty two thousand five hundred per taxpayer. Um, there were eleven states that had surpluses, um, but the rest were essentially considered sinkholes. And Illinois is uh, among the five worst sinkholes uh, identified by Truth and Accounting, yeah. which it, which is, its whole approach is to use like actual accounting standards that would be would be applied in the real world as opposed to like government um or, or uh some of the the not so um helpful state accounting practices that, that we see crop up in illinois all the time oh yeah when you talk to state officials we we pass a balanced budget every single year right that <laughs> they claim Right, because they don't include <laughs> legacy costs such as uh, uh, government employee pension debt and government government employee health care debt uh, when they're talking about uh, their finances. But this this group, thankfully, there are groups out, out there like this that pay closer attention. Uh, truth and accounting, I'm talking about, um, and uh, uh, and tell the truth about uh, the state government's actual finances. 
why don't we move on, um, Brett? It's always depressing when we talk about Illinois' fiscal situation. Um, but more uh, more issues uh, this week over essentially two different vaccine ma mandates. Uh, Governor Pritzker has a vaccine mandate in place for workers in certain sectors, and President Biden is putting a vaccine mandate um, in uh, in place. Uh, so w what are some of the issues we're, we're facing over these vaccine mandates? One of the more interesting stories we had this week was um, Andrew Hensel, one of our reporters from Illinois, went out and talked to um, some HR folks and, and, and asked them essentially how they're responding to these mandates and what these mandates mean for businesses. And essentially what he got back was um, that a lot of uh, HR departments are still trying to figure out how they're going to handle this, how they're going to set up testing for employees who don't um, don't want to do don't want to get the vaccine uh, for, for whatever reason, whether you know the, the medically it's not advised for them or um, they, they choose not to. So and, and then not only how to set up the testing program for those employees, but then who pays for the testing? Right. Um, and that some of that comes from a federal mandate, uh, and some of that's from the state mandate. There's been legal challenges, and and, and I'm guessing we'll see more. But um, you know, as a lot of these HR departments are really just starting now to figure this out. Right. And of course, the 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 federal mandate coming from President Biden, we're still businesses across the country are still waiting for guidelines um, from OSHA. Uh, which is going to uh, oversee uh, the mandate across the country. So, and there's going to be legal challenges um, uh, to that. Um, so that one, um, uh, we'll see how that uh, pans out. But also, int another interesting story regarding Governor Pritzker's um, mandate is a, a state law from the 1980s, uh, 1998 uh, to be exact, that protects um, that, that supposedly protects individuals. Um, saying they can't be discriminated against um, in the workplace if they refuse a certain medical procedure, which would include, you know, a, a vaccine. It's called the Health Healthcare Right of Conscious Act. Tell us a little about this. So this is from 1998. It gives people the right, as you said, not to be discriminated against um, for refusing a medical procedure for which they have some sort of a, a conscientious objection. Um, just how much this this law will play out in in face of COVID and sort of the all encompassing uh, vaccine focus that we have ac across the the country. Essentially, you know, everyone everyone's focused on COVID and COVID only. Um, but but some of these other laws, I think, I I don't know if they'll be able to stand up to to the, the power of uh, I guess uh, the, the current sentiment, um, whether whether that's legal or or not. I, will have to be determined in the courts, but uh, it sounds right, right now, it sounds like this 1998 law is just sort of getting um, barreled over by uh, the push for um, COVID vaccines. First, let me correct the record. I think I might've said 1980s law. It is in fact 1998 law, but one of the, one of Governor Pritzker's um, uh, vaccine mandates were that all school employees, all teachers, um, administrators, if you work in a school, um, you have to be vaccinated. And some school districts are saying they can't enforce that vaccine mandate um, because of potential um, legal uh, issues regarding this uh, uh, 1998 law, the Healthcare Right of Conscious Act. The two seem to be a conflict 
um, with each other. Um, so there'll probably be some legal proceedings over this. But now we're also learning um, that when the Illinois legislature comes back um, for veto session later this month, that some lawmakers might try and change that law so it doesn't conflict with Governor Pritzker's mandate. What, can you tell us any more about that? What, what do you know? It sounds like the momentum is definitely uh, not on the side of this 1998 law, uh, the, the Healthcare Right of Conscience Act. Um, so the lawmakers may indeed come try to come back and change it. Whether they need to, I guess, remain, remains to be seen. Uh, from what we've seen from some school districts who have said, hey, we have some serious liability concerns because we could be liable for, for violating this law and affecting people's civil rights or, or rights under this law. Um, they, uh, it looks to me like they're just asking for liability protection rather than to actually stand up and challenge the law so far. Um, th they basically just want a shield that says, hey, this is the governor's decision, not the district's decision. So we're not liable for violating the, this this 1998 law. Um, let me let me let me just clarify here. Now we're not talking about when we're talking about the vaccine mandate. We're not talking about law because that was an executive order that came from the governor. The legislature has not voted um, to make law to make vaccine mandates a state law. This is an executive order from the governor. You're correct. Um, apologize for the confusing language there but yes this is an executive order a mandate the governor has put in place that has not been um codified or or, or in any way enacted by the legislature and and one of the long going or the long-standing criticisms of the governor's and the the governor's um covid19 pandemic response is that the legislature has completely taken a hands-off approach um that governor pritzker um through his state, state continuous states of emergency, um, has has been issuing these ex executive orders without, um, essentially, without legislative input. Which is a bizarre situation to watch. I mean, this is a group of elected officials that their favorite thing to do is to get into, to go down to Springfield and talk for hours and hours and hours and hours and make decisions. Um, and, and advocate on behalf of their constituents and serve the public. And what, we, what we've seen them do throughout this pandemic is essentially sit home. Um, right. And now they've come back a couple times. They've passed a lot of laws this year, especially compared to last year. But what they really haven't done is, is challenge the governor in any meaningful way. They've essentially, it's, it's a Democratic uh, a majority. They have super majorities in both chambers. And they've been very content to let the governor... Uh, set the policies and then take the heat for those policies too. So I don't know if this is, um, you know, a sort of a, a well thought out strategy for them uh, looking ahead toward reelection or if um, they really just agree with everything the governor's doing. Mm. It's been what, what are we now in the 20th month of pandemic? Um, lawmakers need to start doing their jobs in my opinion. Moving on, um, Brett, uh, every 10 years, um, uh, after the U.S. Census, and you recount uh, the America's po Americans' population, legislatures across the country are charged with um, essentially redistricting political districts, legislative districts, congressional districts, and um, things like that, just to reflect population changes. Um, well, the uh, the Illinois legislature's new uh, state legislative district maps, which uh, uh, have been widely criticized, Governor Pritzker has signed those into law. Now more and more minority groups are coming forward and blasting these new legislative maps. Why, why is that? They don't think they're fair. Um, and and they've, they've got a, a lot of reasons to think so. I mean, 
the way Illinois' process is set up is essentially the politicians draw the map and they get to pick their voters, um, which, is, which is why we have a lot of uncontested and, and uncompetitive races in Illinois. And it's why a lot of voters feel disenfranchised and don't uh, aren't eager to go to the polls because they feel like they don't have much of a choice or much of a say in, in, in what goes on and not only in Springfield, but um, uh, the rest of the country, or the rest of the nation. Um, so there's some real problems here. Um, and, and most of the, the criticism now is coming from minority groups who felt like they were totally discounted in the process um, and going so far as to call the, call the whole thing a, a mockery of the Voting Rights Act. And, of course, Governor Pritzker campaigned on the fact that he would not sign partisan unfair maps, or partisan drawn unfair maps. Seems to have broken that promise by by uh, signing this law that even even many um, minority groups that are largely Democrats um, uh, say are unfair. Now the legislature is charged with drawing congressional maps, of course, because of um, out-migration from Illinois. Uh, the state is going to use lose another congressional representative in Washington D.C., um, but, but those maps have yet to be redrawn. What's going on with those? So those will be up next. Um, first, I want to go back and mention it was the Mexican American Legal Defense and Education Fund that has that has challenged some of the maps in court and has been very critical of, of the process, essentially saying that uh, Latino uh, populations have been discounted in the current maps and aren't given the um, uh, the the uh, um, essentially the, the number of districts that they should have been given or the, or the voting power that they should be afforded based on their population. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but next up is congressional maps, and 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 you can bet that this we'll see the same uh, political uh, um, machinations at work. We'll see, we'll see the same sort of gerrymandering and, and, and making sure that the parties that's in power now, the Democrats stay, stay in power and the districts are drawn to their benefit uh, and to, to harm the Republican counterparts, which again is really just a disservice to, to voters across the state. And you could argue it's democracy as a whole. So um, you can bet then because Illinois is losing a congressional representative, a congressional district because of out migration, because so many people are fleeing the state, for other states, you can bet that the Democrats are going to re- re- draw one of our sitting Republican congressmen out of their district. Almost definitely. Um, we'll, we'll see who it is, um, and, and we'll see how the Republicans respond, whether there'll, there'll be legal challenges there. But um, it looks like the, the Democrats for sure have the numbers to, to, to draw these maps the way they want to. Uh, and, and again, it's the voters here who lose. And, and, and Dan, you, going back to the point you made earlier, Pritzker did vow on the campaign trail to reject this, and he has broken that promise twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, not just kind of or maybe, but fully broken it. Um, said he was going to do one thing, did another thing two times. Well, we, there's a, a, another gubernatorial election coming next year, and there's a number of Republicans who already threw their hat in the ring. There's even a Democrat that's challenging Governor Pritzker, who's going to run for re-election. We'll see uh, what voters have to say about that. Time for one final story, Brett. The Chicago Bears, we usually don't delve into the sporting world, but the Bears, fresh off their 26-6 loss to my Cleveland Browns uh, last week, uh, looks like they might be moving out of the city of Chicago. What can you tell us about this? Uh, Well, at first, um, I think a lot of people thought this was just talk, including Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. 
Um, but it looks like the Bears are, are at least serious enough to, to put down some um, uh, some money. They, they uh, put a bid in for Arlington Racetrack here in Arlington Heights, uh, which is where I live. Um, and and they've, they've essentially got an agreement to purchase that. Now, um, there's still a number of ways this deal could fall through, but um, it, it has implications for, for not only the city of Chicago, um, but also for taxpayers. Um, and I think that that's going to be the interesting part that, that at the center square, we watch that the closest. Um, the taxpayers funded the Bears uh, overhaul at Soldier Field uh, a couple decades ago. Um, and, uh, you know, NFL teams are profitable, very profitable uh, uh, businesses. Uh, so whether or not they come to taxpayers looking for money to build a stadium in Arlington Heights will be uh, very interesting. And 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 which pet taxpayers uh, too? Are we talking about statewide taxpayers? Is this is the state going to be asked uh, to contribute to this with state taxpayer monies? Are we talking about? Um, you know, in, if Chicago uh, tries to keep the Bears, are city taxpayers going to be asked to fund a new stadium in the city of Chicago, where the you know where the current Soldier Field is at, um, or Arlington Heights uh, taxpayers, where um, the, the racetrack is that the Bears um, uh, sign an intent to purchase agreement on this week? Will they be asked to share? So it's a lot of moving parts here. Um, and it's a story that's not it's a, you know it's a story that's not going to be resolved um, anytime soon um, uh, because of the different angles to it. But it is one, particularly from a taxpayer's perspective, uh, one uh, that the center square uh, will be paying attention to. I think there's a lot of possibilities here, and one that um, is very interesting to me is what happened in Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh uh, at one point voters rejected building a new stadium. <laughs> and we're forced to pay for it anyway. Yeah. It's a, so that's how, so that's how things, things seem, seem to work. Hold on to your wallets. Yeah, there's some very interesting uh, taxpayer implications when it comes to sports and, and big sports teams um, and, and publicly financed stadiums. So we're definitely going to be watching this closely. Thank you for joining me this week, uh, Brett. That's all the time we have. Uh, now back to Greg Bishop for a look at the week ahead. Next week, the team from the Center Square will continue to follow the fallout from the governor's COVID-19 mandates on education, health care, and the economy. We'll also be closer to when lawmakers return for fall veto session, where they're expected to begin hearings on new congressional maps and possibly take up changes to state law in regards to the governor's COVID-19 mandates. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.